The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to The Shalene Show. Shalene has helped thousands with her books, seminars, and online academies. She's the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Push, and a mother of two. And you might not know your host was once a member of a punk rock band. It's true. I was in a punk rock band called The Deranged Few. Now, you might be wondering, was she the singer? Did she play guitar? What did she do in this punk rock band? Nothing. Uh, We got as far as coming up with a name. None of us could sing. None of us played any instruments. I got a guitar that year for Christmas and um, decided I would take lessons, which I never took. What we did is we came up with a cool name and we got cool haircuts and we made T-shirts. And that's as far as our punk rock band, The Deranged Few, ever got. It just seemed like a really cool thing to be in a punk rock band. And my cool haircut was I had one, this is true, I had one side of my head shaved and the other side was long. And then I had, oh, this is so, so embarrassing. I had like a long braid coming out of the side that I'd shaved, like at the bottom of it. And then like a long skinny braid that we called a tail. And then I braided it. And at the bottom, because this is so super punk rock, I was like, oh, no one's ever thought of this. I would put a little teeny tiny Lego man in my rubber band at the bottom of the braid. I am not kidding. I thought it was so sweet. I thought it was so cool. And I just thought, you know, if I've got the look, If I've got the look, isn't that just, isn't that the biggest part of being in a cool punk rock band? And then the t-shirts? I tell you that because sometimes you just got to go for it. You got to just do stuff that sounds cool, even if you don't have it completely figured out. You got to start someplace. Don't worry about perfection. Today's show is all about overcoming paralysis, the paralysis that we create by worrying about perfection. So many of us stop ourselves from doing things because we feel like, well, it's, it's not right yet. I don't know enough yet. It's not perfect. I need to fix it. I need to fix myself. I need to lose 10 more pounds. I need to become the expert. I need to learn more. I need more followers. I need more expertise. I need more knowledge. I need more time. And in our heads, we're always thinking about someone who might know more than us, someone who might be better at us, someone who might be analyzing our typos and the way we've put things together and the way we've organized things. And you know what? You're right. People will nitpick. People will find errors. And those are usually people who they themselves have so much time to nitpick your stuff because they're not creating their own stuff because they themselves are paralyzed by perfectionism. I can tell you everything I've ever done, and I mean everything, started with a flop. When I think back on how it is I ended up in front of so many millions of people in fitness, it kind of makes me laugh because I couldn't get hired as a fitness instructor. I was terrible. It was just something I wanted to do to keep myself busy and maybe make a few bucks after work because I was studying to go to law school. Actually, I was studying to get a better grade on the LSAT so I could go to law school to become a lawyer. And in the evenings, I just wanted to teach fitness classes, but I was lousy. I was terrible and I couldn't get hired anywhere. And when I eventually got enough skills to get a 
you know, minimum wage job teaching fitness classes after work, I was still so terrible that I could see in the eyes of just a few people about 15 minutes into the class that they were going to stay just out of the kindness of their hearts because my class was so terrible. I mean, at its essence, I had the core strengths that it took to be a good fitness professional, meaning I cared about people. I know how to lift people up and make them feel important and noticed. And I understood how to help people change their lives, but I didn't have any idea how to put together a class, how to stay on the beat, how to design a workout so that, you know, it had the right flow. I just, I didn't have those skills. So the class was lousy and people would leave, but I just kept practicing it. And if I had waited until it was perfect, I would have never done it because sometimes you just can't get good at things until you do it over and over and over. And each time you do it, you tweak it and you get better. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but yet we're still paralyzed by our fears that someone is going to say that was bad. That could have been better. Where does that come from? Where do you think it is? Because logically we know, we know we should just do this and, and we don't find any fault in others when they attempt to do something and we know they're going to get better at it. We encourage them, we support them, we cheer for them. But when it comes to ourselves, we often allow that little voice in our heads to be turned up so loud that we never take action. And that fear prevents people from living the life that they deserve, from taking that amazing life that you've designed on a vision board on Pinterest, in your head, in your dreams, and maybe even on paper, and it prevents you from actually executing because of that fear. I think it's fear of judgment. And the other day I was doing an interview with um, Brian Elliott for Behind the Brand. If you haven't watched that show, gosh, it's really great. It's on YouTube. You can just um, Google search Behind the Brand with Brian Elliott, and he interviews entrepreneurs, a lot of you know great people who you probably are familiar with. And his interview style is interesting because he just kind of lets it. But one of the things we ended up talking about is what prevents people from taking action. And I said, I think it's that little voice inside your head that you are still hearing the echoes of it from when you were a child. I think that most people's fear starts because they were judged or had critical parents. So hear me clearly. Let's shift this conversation away from ourselves for just a moment. And if I could speak to those of you who are parents, please know this. Every time you criticize your child, every time you tell them that wasn't good enough, you could have done better, you should have run faster, you should have danced harder, you should have tried more, you should have stayed up later, you should have got a better grade. Every time you say something critical and judgmental to your child, you are robbing them of their courage. We have to let kids fail. We have to let them do something and realize that they're going to get better at it. We have to let them have an off day. We have to let kids get a B from time to time. If you're trying to teach your kid to be perfect, I promise you, you will have a paralyzed adult living in your extra bedroom and you will wonder to yourself, where did I go wrong? Give your child the courage to fail. Give your child the praise when they try something new and they weren't very good at it. Give your child permission to have an off day. Give your kid a pat on the back when, when they mess up and they don't give their best, but they're going to the next time. You know, be more supportive. Gosh, this, this is another hot topic. I am going to address specifically this. That's it. Done. My next topic on The Shalene Show is going to be all about the ways that we can lift our children up because we carry this stuff with us into the future. You know it. Think about the first time you were criticized by one of your parents when you did something and it wasn't right. And this pause is intentional because I really 
I'm not going to talk here for a second. I want you to think back on the first time you remember being criticized by one of your parents. What did you do? What was so terrible? How did it make you feel? What did they say? How long did you carry that with you? Think about it for a moment. How often were you criticized? Maybe you were lucky. Maybe you were one of those kids who had really super supportive parents. You could do no wrong. You know, I'm not saying that's good either, but a nice balance where you feel like, you know, I'm a kid. I, I, I can mess this up. When a parent attacks a child and tells them you did this wrong or they're impatient and angry and have short tempers and they snap and you just feel like you can never do anything right, that child feels as though their opinion doesn't matter and they can never do anything right. That child must develop the courage to fail despite the fact that they feel no support or love or value when they do fail. They have to do that on their own. Can you imagine what an incredible feat that is for a child to do that on their own? And so many of you have had to do that. Many of you have had the most critical childhood where you had parents who told you you couldn't do anything right, And then they showed you over and over again how you were wrong and that your opinion didn't matter and that you were just going to mess everything up. So you've got a choice to make today. You can either continue to listen to that voice, that irrational voice of an adult who carried with them their own baggage, their own problems, their own self-hatred, their own issues. You can continue to listen to that volume or you can look at it now, look back on those incidences as an adult And look at that little kid. And then look at the adult who's speaking to them in that manner. And ask yourself if it really makes sense. Did that child deserve to be treated that way or told those things? Does it really make sense? Is it logical that someone would have told that child what they've done wrong wasn't good enough? That they should have tried harder? That they they wouldn't amount to be anything? Does that make sense? Of course it doesn't. But yet we hold on to those illogical, irrational beliefs because they were formed when we were so young and we carry them with us into our adult lives. Even if you do have the courage to do some scary things, I bet you can still from time to time hear that little voice. I want to let you know it's not your own voice. It's not the voice you're hearing in your head. It's the echoes you're hearing from an early childhood experience and you've carried it with you. And I'm asking you to stop I'm asking you to hit the mute button because that voice has done enough to rob you of your greatness, to rob all the other people of this incredible opportunity to connect with you, for you to share with other people your gift. Every time you take action, despite the fact that you feel fear, you will develop a greater sense of courage. You will begin to feel the rewards of taking action in spite of your fear. If step one is muting the volume on that little voice inside your head, which remember, it doesn't come from you. It's the echo from your past. If step one is hitting mute, then step two is to set a new goal for yourself. See, in the past, you had to make your goal perfection. I mean, there's a very logical reason why you have always tried to do things perfectly. It's because in order to be the perfect child or to be loved or to stay out of trouble for so many kids, they had to do things perfectly. And now we know 
we don't need to do things perfectly to have the love and support of the people who matter. Now as an adult, you realize my husband, my wife, my kids, my best friend, my mom, my dad, now I'm an adult and I know they love me. I don't have to get things done perfectly, right? So perfection as a goal doesn't make sense anymore. I want you to change your goal, your objective. Now I want your objective to be, I need to just get this out there so I can fix it later. Because remember, we can't fix anything that doesn't exist. We can't make something better that we've never done. We can't tweak an article that we've never written. I can't improve my podcasting unless I've had a couple of months under my belt. I can't get better at teaching unless I've had classes where everybody walks out because I'm so terrible. I can't get better unless I fail. So now it's my goal to get the first one out there with my best effort based on the skills and the level at which I'm at today. And my goal is to get it done so that I can get better. My first month of doing this, creating a podcast was um, not pretty, (laughs) but I knew it had to get better and it could only get better if I started keeping track of where it was going wrong. And my, the biggest piece for me was my organization. Like it was taking way too many hours because I didn't have a system in place. And when I started to feel that swell of disorganization and and feeling like, gosh, this should not be taking so long and I can't figure out where my files are and this computer's crashing and I don't really understand a system of how to edit this stuff and keep track of the interviews and schedule my interviews and what topics need to come next, I realized there was no way I could improve upon that unless I was in it. I didn't know what that piece would feel like unless I was actually producing a podcast. So the only way for me to get better at what I'm doing is by messing up and figuring out how I need to fix it. You can't fix something if you didn't produce it. Like I think of so many areas now where I'm considered an expert or that people look to me to teach them how to do things that in the beginning were so laughable for me. Like they're great stories now on stage, but if I hadn't overcome that fear, that little voice inside my head that said, there's somebody who's way more qualified to do this than you. You're going to look like a fool. People are going to laugh at you. People are going to talk behind your back. You have no business doing this. Don't even try. You're not going to get it right. If I had listened to all those voices, and and I just have to share with you, they weren't very loud in my head because, and I'm going to give full credit to my parents, I didn't have those parents who said, you messed up. You didn't do enough. You could have tried harder. You did this wrong. I didn't have those parents, but they're in our society. Everything we do, we feel that kind of like, oh boy, this is going to be scrutinized. I'm supposed to be perfect. Everything is airbrushed. Everything is polished and produced. And and so even if you didn't have unsupportive parents, we still get that messaging from society. And if I had listened to that messaging, I think now on where I would be, which is not where I want to be right where I am today. I have a million and one examples of this. Many of you know Mari Smith. Now, Mari, for me, she's a social media genius. She's really an expert at relationships online. And when you know a little more about her story, and if you if you don't know her story and her background and how she ended up being such a great social media relationships expert, please listen to the episode that I did with Mari. And she kind of shares her background. That is episode number four of Build Your Tribe. It's the fourth interview that I did, the fourth episode because she's really been, for me, someone I've always turned to to learn more about social media and specifically how to build relationships in it. But I was thinking back on my first attempt at reaching out to one of my mentors. 
Now, I want to share Mari with you because I've interviewed her, but many of the people you'll hear interviewed in Build Your Tribe, experts and authors and people who I was listening to on cassette tape in my beat up old Jeep in the 80s, people who I'd considered my mentors from afar, those people, I wanted to reach out to them. I wanted to get on their radar. I wanted to be like them. I wanted to work with them. And Mari was one of my very first attempts at ever reaching out to one of my mentors. I don't know if there's a way, you can tell me and leave a note on my blog if there's a way to do this because I've searched through my old Twitter DMs because I remember I sent, I got up the nerve to send Mari a Twitter DM and I thought, okay, I'm gonna reach out to this mentor of mine and and she doesn't even know who I am and I'm, I'm nervous, but you know what? Now I've got a little bit of notoriety because I'm, I'm on TV and I'm selling these infomercials and so what I'm gonna do is I'm going to send her a Twitter DM. I think this was like 2008, I'm thinking. Yeah, probably 2008, maybe maybe even 2009, but I think it was earlier. I think it was like 2008. And I sent her a Twitter DM and I thought, okay, you've got one shot to really impress her. So lead with all your sales. Tell her who you are, how much you're selling on TV, how many you know viewers people are watching and DVDs you've sold and, and that'll really impress her. And then you'll be on her radar and then she'll want to work with you and she lives in Southern California and you'll be friends. And I sent that Twitter DM and that took a lot of courage. You know, I had this fear like, oh, you're not going to be important enough. You're not good enough. So you should lead with all of your accomplishments. So I, you know, basically threw up in a Twitter DM all of my resume and I led with all the numbers. And just in true Mari form, rather than ignoring that Twitter DM, she really came back with a very kind reply that said, you know, politely, and I wish I had it, something to the effect of, that's just, that's just not how I build relationships with people. You know, I, I need to get to know you, you need to get to know me. And I was like, wow, that, that didn't work. But now I know, now I know I failed. But it's not really a failure. It was just my first attempt. It was good enough. It was good enough to get the first one done and to mess it up. And she was kind enough to tell me what I did wrong. And I learned from that point forward, I just, I don't need to lead with my resume or numbers. And I haven't been perfect since that time. I still mess it up sometimes. Sometimes I reach out to people and I just do it in the wrong way. And But I get better each and every time. And if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't today be working with people who, like I said, have been mentors of mine for years because I had to learn how to get better at just networking and relationships and being authentic. And I learned from that experience that I needed to lead with a relationship first. Now, I don't get it right every time, but I can tell you that since that time, obviously, you can see that Mari and I have become friends and associates, and it took many years of building a relationship and trust, and you just can't rush these things, but you got to go for it. And I've made mistakes since then, and there's some people you do have to lead with how you can help them, and they want to know your list size. And then there are people who that's not what they're about. But it's just a matter of trial and error. And no one's going to die except your dreams if you don't try. Oh, man, that was a good one. It even rhymed. Tweet that one, will you? Quote me on that one. Here's another great one for you. I knew I wanted to do seminars. Like way back when, I, I loved speaking. I took Toastmasters in the fourth grade. So I've always loved that rush, that adrenaline that I would feel when I was on stage teaching anything. So when I was a paralegal and trying to figure out a way to stop being a paralegal and, and do this 
fitness thing where I'm helping people change their lives and I wanted to do that full time. I put together this plan and it was very much inspired by the fact that we had our first child, Brock, and I wanted to be home with him. But I also needed, because we lived in Southern California, to contribute to our finances. So I figured out a way to really structure my day and to slowly build up enough personal training clients that I was able to quit my job as a paralegal. And how I did that from a transitional standpoint was something I knew other women needed to learn. Like they needed to understand what's the formula? How much money do you need to be making in order to decide that it's the day you should go in and say, I need to give you my letter of resignation. I knew that women in particular needed to understand how to structure that and and what that transition looked like and what it looked like from a dollar sign and how you need to get your husband on board. And so I decided to do these seminars. This is so this is so funny. And I decided, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna charge $49 and I'm gonna hold it at a hotel and I'm gonna target all the whams, work at home moms. And I'm gonna print up these very expensive, glossy photos and I'm gonna hire a designer to design these postcards and I'm gonna buy a mailing list of people who have subscribed to Parenting Magazine and I'm gonna spend all this money to send out these mailers to people's mailboxes. People weren't really even using the internet that much yet. Not in this way, not like not in terms of social media yet. So this was 1999 and uh, I had been home with my son now for about a year. So total expert, right? Like I'm an expert because I've been doing it for a year. So I decided to hold this big seminar. I spend a fortune in these materials and the marketing. And yes, I had to get a hotel venue. And I planned, I could picture my head, hundreds of women sitting in the audience, just hanging on my every word. Well, as you're probably not surprised to find out, I had exactly six people in the audience and four of them were my former co-workers from the law firm I had just resigned at. Wendy, if you're listening, do you remember? Oh my gosh, she came out of pure pity. Well, nah, she came out of pure love and support and so did the other women. And then there were two strangers, complete strangers. Never met them until that day when I signed them in on my roster. Was it a financial disaster? Completely. But was it a failure? No, because it was my first attempt. I had to suck at it. I had to be not so good so I could fix it later. And now I do events where there's 2,000 people in the audience and they spend $1,000 for their ticket. $1,000 and a flight and a hotel. And you know what? They walk away enriched. Every single, I know that every single penny that they spend on that seminar will give them a return on their investment. And I know that the seminar I gave back in 1999 probably gave those two women some kind of a return on their $49 investment. It just wasn't my best attempt, but it was my first attempt. And you have to get the first one under your belt. You got to get that first one out there. You have to say this to yourself. It's good enough for my first attempt. It's not perfect. That's impossible. If your first attempt is perfect, you waited too long. Your first attempt has to just be good enough for you to assess what to do better the next time. An amazing life, a better business, more money in your bank account, those aren't things that belong to people who are more perfect. Those are things that belong to people who have given themselves permission to just try, give it a shot, 
fail, fix it, move on, do it better the next time. Anything you see someone else has done, you can do it too. You won't do it as well as they're doing right now, but eventually you will, and eventually you'll do it better than them. But if you allow perfectionism to rob you, what you're doing is giving somebody your power. You're giving your greatness away. In fact, you already gave it away. You're letting that person continue to carry it around in their pocket, and it's yours. So go get it back. Think of it as the ultimate act of justice. You're getting justice for yourself when you go out and you silence the voice of negativity and you courageously give it your best shot, knowing it's not going to be your best. It's your best shot based on where you're starting and it's only going to get better. Many years ago, more than a decade ago, I came to my husband and said, I've got this great idea for an apparel company. It's going to help our tribe build. I mean, people will will gravitate towards the style of clothing. And I've got all these grandiose ideas. And yes, I know I've never been to design school. And I know I don't know how to sew with a pattern. But I've got an idea. And I've got this flair for fashion and fitness. And I want to start an apparel company. And as Brett always does, he's like, okay, honey. And so I went to town. I started designing my own pants to solve a problem that I saw. And that was that there weren't enough sizes in between small, medium, and large. So I wanted all these sizes for jazz pants, which are basically the equivalent of yoga pants today. And we went to town and we we found a manufacturer in LA who could create them for us. And and I sketched out the patterns and I didn't hire, I didn't hire a pattern maker and I didn't hire someone to design uh, the pants. I just thought, well, I can figure this out myself and this will be good enough. This will be good enough. And Yeah, it was good enough, but there were a lot of errors in it. In fact, the pants I had specifically designed for myself so that they wouldn't be too long were, in fact, way too short. I look like Huck Finn in a pair of jazz pants. And I designed an extra long pair of pants, not for girls who were extra large, but for girls who were tall and extra long. And I used my friend Danielle Bronstein as my model. Now, Danielle's six feet tall, and she's all legs. And I'll tell you what, those pants came in about four inches too long for our tallest customer. So we ended up shipping boxes and boxes and boxes of jazz pants that would fit a giant to third world countries and donating them. Was it a flop? Uh, Sure, yeah. I mean, I guess you could say that, but it was a learning lesson. And that learning lesson, which was extremely costly and you know, it wasn't my best effort. Eventually, that loss turned into us selling our apparel company for seven figures. But what if I'd never, what if I'd never tried? What if I waited till everything was perfect? I would still be, I would have never done it. You can't fix what you don't produce. More recently, when I set out to create the Marketing Impact Academy, I did that knowing that Gosh, you know, there's got to be so many people in my position who want to share their message with the world. They're creative, they're relationship people, they love to connect, but they just have no idea all of these technical things that are required in order to build an audience and an email list online. Like, how do you do that if you just want to be yourself and you want to connect with people? And I'm not really that interested, nor do I even understand all of these terms. I didn't know what a lead magnet was, and I had no idea how to set up uh, a customer management system for my email prospects. I didn't know when to send emails or how to send them or or what was making them end up trapped in spam folders. I didn't understand how to create an opt-in page that was... In the beginning, I didn't really understand how to move people from my Facebook page, from my Twitter, from my Pinterest, from my Instagram, and help them understand that I had more to offer them 
if they joined my email list or if they if they were to download something from me free, like my very best stuff, which we often call a freemium or uh, a lead magnet. And I didn't know what any of those terms meant. And I, I knew I had to learn them because because I have a lot to offer and I have a lot I want to share with people. And the best way to reach them is online, is in social media. And I knew that there were people out there who were just like me in the same position. Like, I don't get this. It's not what I'm naturally interested in, but I know I need to learn it. I knew that people like myself wanted to hear from somebody who could speak to them in their language, who could explain it to them in layman's terms from the standpoint of a creator, not the standpoint of someone who has been doing this for years and and knows what all these terms mean. And I I feared for a very long time creating this academy, even and I kept saying to people, I've learned this, but now where can I send my lifers to learn this stuff? You know, I would say to all of my friends and who are social media marketers, like, where can we send business and entrepreneurs and, and MLMers and, and the people who are in the business of helping others? Where can I send them to learn how to build an email list? And everyone would say, well, you know, you could send them to this person for this piece. And this person has a, you know, program that they offer on Facebook marketing. And this person teaches webinars. But no one's really boiled it down to like how to build your list. And I let that same voice creep into my head, which is you don't have any business teaching this because you're not, you didn't start off as an expert in this. But yet I'm an expert at the way I do it. I'm an expert at the way I've learned it and the way I explain it. So rather than worry about all the people who've been teaching internet marketing or who actually are quote unquote internet marketers, I just said, I'm on the internet. I've got a message to share. I'm in social media and I see so many people just spinning their wheels, wasting time because they think they're supposed to be in social media to build these connections, but they don't know how to build a list and really serve people. So gosh darn it, I'm going to do it. And I'm so glad I did. I'm so thankful. And I'm going to toot my own horn here and say, there's nothing like it. I'm not even trying to sell you on it. I'm just trying to tell you that even if there's somebody out there who knows a heck of a lot more than me, they don't know how to deliver the information in the way I deliver it to the people who relate to me. And that's what you have to remember. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be the best and you don't have to be perfect. We can't stand perfect people. I have a couple acquaintances who seem pretty darn perfect. And I have to tell you, I am constantly looking for something. Bad breath, weird thumbs, like a crooked tooth, like anything, please, so that I can like you a little more because it's hard to like people who are perfect, right? It makes us suspicious because, why does it make us suspicious? Because we know it doesn't exist. So you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be the best or know the best. You don't have to be the best or know the most. You just have to be an expert at the way you deliver it and it will get better each time you do it. So throw it out there. What is that thing you need to decide today? All right, this is good enough for my first attempt and my second attempt will be better. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or or where the doer of deeds could have done themselves better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least he fails daring greatly. That quote's from Theodore Roosevelt. It's the quote used in Brene Brown's book, Daring Greatly. Amazing read if you haven't read that book. Download the audio version of that. 
I really don't care for perfect people, and I know you don't either. So I just want to tell you, I love you. I love you with all your all your flaws and your weird thumb and your bad breath and your crooked eyebrows. And I, I love you even if you do wear socks with Crocs. That's what makes you, you. So thanks for spending this time with me because I think you're the bomb.com. Now, if this message resonated with you, share it with somebody else who needs to hear this. Share this with somebody who's paralyzed right now by perfectionism. If you want to do something nice for me, I can tell you what it is. Subscribe. It really helps get the word out about my show. And it means a lot to me. I look at my subscriber numbers every day. Sorry, kind of a geek. And um, I think it's cool for you to be able to listen in, tune in, and, and play along as I try to get better at this thing. I love you guys. Until next time.